On the Empire Podcast this week, we talk to Star-Lord himself, a.k.a. Bert Macklin, FBI, a.k.a. at Pratt Pratt Pratt, a.k.a. Chris Pratt about Guardians of the Galaxy, while we also shout pod wankers at not one, not two, not three, but all four members of the Inbetweeners as they drop by to talk about their upcoming sequel. All that plus the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that's recorded on National Orgasm Day. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE25. That offer code again, EMPIRE25. This week, once again, we have just two colleagues with me. Uh, First up is our art house guru, a man who's never been to Comic-Con because he insists on cosplaying as a tree of wooden clogs. It's Phil Desimlian. Hello. Hello. I get my higher branches stuck in uh, the roof of Hall H. Yeah, I was going to say, are you related to Groot in any way? I am clogs. (laughs) I am clogs. (laughs) Clogs, because I'm Dodge. (laughs) And you just heard him there. It's our film facts fiend, a man who would go to Comic Con and cosplay as IMDb because he knows so goddamn much. There's so many film facts rolling around that big head of his. It's Ali Plum. Yeah, you should see my trivia section, ladies. Hello. Uh, Would you cosplay? Would you ever cosplay? Uh, Yes, I would, yeah. What would you cosplay as? I would cosplay as. Uh, I'd, I'd go as the dude. I would definitely go as the dude. I, I don't have to add that much to my general look, so I'd do that. But I don't know whether that's nerdy enough, because if, if it's Comic-Con, it's going to really be super nerdy. The best Comic-Con cosplay I saw when I was there last year were the characters, the white and red characters from a computer game called Journey. If anybody knows what I'm talking about, they have their faces lit up with joy. White and red cloaked beings that just float and chirp and, and are generally amazing. To them, I say congratulations for being amazing. Uh, there are also quite a few game cosplays, just generally in Comic-Con. It's not just comics mm. or films. It's no. anything you can think of. It's it's a wide-ranging spectrum. Uh, it's great. I've just come back, and uh, I, I saw a lot of great costumes this year. I think one of the most bizarre ones I saw was a guy who went around dressed as uh, John Coffey from The Green Mile. Really, really good. looked fantastic. And he had a... Uh, uh, a <laughs> toy mouse in his hand that he kept holding out to people with as Mr. Jingles it was uh, very bizarre but he looked fantastic but there were loads of really great ones there was a cyclops who had uh, basically a cut price cyclops who had used a pair of old yellow Beats headphones that he did for his visor and he'd stuck them in the back of his head and hoped no one had noticed and he'd rubbed out the Beats logo but I recognise those Beats headphones because they're cool and down with the kids Cyclops oh Cyclops Cyclops I was thinking Not about Harry, oh, Harryhausen no, I was just so- like are they known for wearing oh Phil for wearing oh, headphones oh, art house Phil oh Phil what would you cosplay as seriously not not the tree of wooden clogs clearly because it's expensive what, what would you uh, what would you cosplay um, as what about truck Nazi from Raiders can, you don't suppose you can go as a Nazi though can you um, <laughs> let me just double check um, with society. Uh, I'm getting a maybe on that one. Uh, Prince Harry I'm says no. Um, I'm getting yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I'm not in the royal family of any country. You sound like you could be in the royal family. You sound like you could be in the Romanian royal family. I don't think they've got one anymore, Chris. To be honest, do they? Freedonia. I'll find out. Freedonia's got one. That's a good point. Oh, I don't know. Something from a Wes Anderson film, perhaps. That'd be amazing. Com- yeah, you covers Badger. Something one of like Max Fisher's guises. That'd be cool. Obviously, I'd go as uh, fully naked and scarred and eyeless Dr. William Weir from Event Horizon. I think that wouldn't surprise anybody. Would you actually uh, gouge I'm your eyes out? I'm wearing it right occasion. now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, yes, I am. I am. 
<laughs> Would you think about going as Peter Laurie from M? No, not M. <laughs> Bad example. Bad example. So you want to go was the first one that came to my mind. What about the Maltese Falcon? That's a yellow pedophile. How about just coming as Hitler? Just come, come as Hitler. You can see why I've not been to Comic Con before. <laughs> I would love to go to Comic Con, but I wouldn't go as a Nazi or a pedophile. Well, now we all know, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know. Right. Okay. Enough. Enough. Oh, by the way. Enough small talk. <laughs> what enough banter. preamble. Oh, great banter, guys. So, I was going to say, by the oh. way, there is a great. I watched Zach Braff's new film last night. There is a great uh, cosplay Comic Con moment in it. Really entertaining. Right. It's time for your questions now. You can send them in via Twitter, via email uh, all week. This is one from at David Street 76 In lieu of the weather, what are your favourite summer movies and slash or films that feature excessive heat? Excessive heat? Excessive heat. The sequel to Heat Everybody Wanted, with even more Robert De Niro. 12 Angry Men, I know, is going to get a lot of people nodding in agreement. Mm-hmm. And uh, anybody disagrees with me, well, I'll kill you! Mm. Um, I wouldn't actually kill you. Uh, I, yeah, so that, and also Do the Right Thing, which mm. really... Captures a the sweaty heat. New York summer. Yeah, really does does the heat thing. Mm, right, it's good. I'm going to feature on the. I'm going to focus on the second part of the question rather than the favorite summer movies. I don't know if I have a favorite summer movie. Obviously, summer rental. Uh, I'm going to focus on the heat question. Wake and fright. Phenomenal. Uh, it's set in the Australian outback. It came out a few months ago. Re-released in cinemas is now on DVD and Blu-ray. It's fantastic. If you uh, haven't seen it, do check it out. It's a uh, dark nightmare set in the Australian outback. And I think captures heat on film, the sense of heat that they really did shoot in just baking temperatures mm. with uh, flies um, uh, you know, visible on screen. Actually, Ted Kotcheff, the director, uh, told me that he brought, he had flies specially shipped in and basically just flinging them at Bullshit. The no, no, there were flies already there. But that he was, can't ship he was flies on. They live for like three well, days. To be fair, the bullshit helped. Flinging the flies, flinging the flies in. Uh, just well, to make, make sure another shipment of flies have arrived yeah, and they're just, all dead he again just, he put his hand to the fly bag pulled out a handful of flies and just chucked at them yeah mm. where are the flies they were refusing to come out of their trailer yeah fly um, my pretties that's amazing you interviewed him about that film mm. he, I cannot I cannot overstate how what an impact that film had on me when I watched it this year for the first time having never heard of it because it was one of those lost movies wasn't it that, yeah. that kind of disappeared and was rediscovered um, but is you're right captures the sweltering sticky kind of things strange things happen in, in film when it's hot yeah you can sense that you can sense it almost on the celluloid on the celluloid sort of dripping the sweat and the clamminess mm. there's a great one of those um, Joseph Lucy's The Go-Between um, the adaptation of I'm going to say J.R. Hartley but it pretty much wasn't J.R. Hartley because he wrote Fly sure, Fishing I'm pretty sure it wasn't J.R. Hartley apology L.P. Hartley perhaps with uh, Judy Christie and uh, a young kid it's, it's about adult world through the eyes of a child one of those great films about childhood and uh, it's got that same it's set in I think Norfolk if you liked if you liked Atonement Atonement is very much sort of inspired and influenced by that film Atonement's another one that's got that kind of you can you can hear the kind of the flies buzzing and the and the heat reflecting on the water you can't hear that actually that'd be weird but you know what I mean Barton Fink is hot in of itself in summertime but then things get extra hot <laughs> when everything goes up in flames uh, also Dog Day Afternoon I think is one of those mm. hot sweaty ones yeah very clammy film mm. very clammy film Cool uh, Hand Luke's another one of those sweaty ones yeah that's right it, it, chain gang stuff should be called I'll tell you one that I don't like which is I guess traditionally cited in this because it justifies Marilyn's ultimate manoeuvre but The Seven Year Itch I, I always did not like as a movie though everything that everything's in it 
that's in it I should like. It should add up to something I really enjoy, but I find it very uncomfortable and not because of the heat. I just don't... It doesn't gel as, a, as an enjoyable film for me. But also Streetcar Named Desire has the, the passion. Mm. We, we haven't actually films really that have really included the hot, hot sexiness. Well, it is National Orgasm Day. It is. <clears throat> don't, Chris. It's a Dennis Quaid film with... Um, Ellen the Big, Barkin, easy. The big, big easy. easy. Yeah, that's a, that's a hot film, isn't it? Very um, sultry. We're not mentioning westerns. You think where it's always hot? Yeah, because it's always hot, and so you sort of take it for granted. I kind of prefer westerns when it gets cold and snowy, like The Searchers, for instance. Yeah. when they go plowing through the snow, you're like, that seems yeah. no, there's a novelty to that. Leone's westerns always had a real sense of cloying heat, true, true, which I, which I really liked. The beginning uh, of Once Upon a Time in the West, of yeah. course. And uh, I guess you're looking at you know films. You know, Wake and Fright obviously I think is the apotheosis of this. But uh, you, you know, you do look at the Mad Max films. I yeah. think they're also they have a real sense of heat. And there's a great, uh, great British sci-fi film uh, from the early '60s called The Day the Earth Caught Fire. Uh, that which, sounds hot. Which is fantastic. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> about the, the world being burned up, which obviously brings to mind also Nick Cage's of masterpiece. Of course, who could forget knowing. knowing. Two which, stars uh, by me. It's well, hmm. well, you were you were incorrect, sir. <laughs> I stand with Roger Ebert in this one, uh, the late great Roger Ebert. Uh, I think it's I, I love that film. Oh, uh, fine, bring Roger Ebert to the to the review party, won't you? Yeah, I will. I will. Have you heard uh, of the sequel? Which is Knowing Me, Knowing You. Hey. Well, originally they were going to call it Knowing Me, Knowing Two, but they thought that would be silly. When you said you were bringing energy to this podcast, I didn't know how much energy you were going to bring. Almost too much energy. Ma- too much. Energy. Mainly, it's just cock pops. It is. It is. I had something interesting to say. Okay, be a first, but go on. Mm, no, I've forgotten it. <laughs> okay, great. All right, we'll keep no, that Andrew, in. Give me a second. Uh, here's a question from uh, the mysterious James G. Oh, by the way, David Street, we didn't answer the first part of your question. Maybe we'll get around to that some other point, because I think summer movies are a different thing. They're fun and frolicky and joyful. And uh, we talked about movies that are dark and depressing. So we'll talk about some Did we? Oh, yeah, we, we did. did. You're oh, right. Wake, wake and fried, for God's sake. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, all right, so James G via email, he doesn't give his full name, says, Which scene in a film terrified you as a child? Not necessarily a scary film, but something that really shook you up. Mine would be, this is James G's, mine would be the scene in Superman 3 where the lady, uh, that is Robert Fawn's sister, uh, where the lady gets dragged into the computer and turned into a cyborg. Good Answer, James G. Absolutely, that scene uh, destroyed me as a kid as well. I remember watching it even on... Uh, it was used as a clip on shows like Going Live or Saturday Superstore or whatever it was at that time. And they showed that clip as a promo for Superman 3. And even the clip scared me. Scared the living dead. So basically the clip is is towards the end of Superman 3. Uh, Robert Vaughn, the big bad guy, and his uh, evil sister, played by Anne Ross, have retreated to a mountain hideout, hideout uh, and have lured Superman to them. And they've built a supercomputer to try and take on Superman. And the supercomputer, at some point during the climax, becomes sentient and self-aware and lures, uh, drags Anne Ross's character into the into its guts and basically turns into a cyborg with glowing red eyes. And she's she walks in a very jerked, jerky, stilted, possessed fashion, and it just scared the living bejesus out of me so that stayed with me for a long time mm. a long time mm, can imagine cool IT if that ever happens to indeed. you indeed well now when you watch Superman 3 it's scary for all sorts of other reasons uh, that scene less so these days that bit with Richard Pryor flies S- out of a window skiing off the top of a building and landing on the uh, on the sidewalk is that the one that was shot mostly in Milton Keynes yes no that no, was the fourth no. one that's the fourth oh yeah, that's the fourth, that's the fourth. three is the first one that's fully directed by uh, by Richard Lester Gotcha. Took over 
uh, Super Metroid. And how does it compare with two? Quality wise, uh, it it doesn't really. It has a great uh, great opening though, fantastic opening. This great slapstick uh, sequence with uh, Bob Todd from Benny Hill. Do you remember Bob Todd, no. Benny Hill psychic? He's who's a uh, it's it sets off this this sort of cartwheel, this sort of Rube Goldberg kind of chain reaction of slapstick that just unfolds in front of uh, Clark Kent's eyes. It's really really funny actually. So uh, mm. it has its high points. It has its, uh, it has its, it has its okay. My answer to this question isn't actually from a film. Uh, I've mentioned before how I've, lo- I've, I've loved slash hated the Stay Fuff Marshmallow Man. When it comes to really, really, really freaking me out when I was a kid, it just haunted my dreams. I'd be both hungry and scared at the same time, <laughs> which is an unfortunate mix. Uh, but my answer here is actually from a, a TV miniseries, Gulliver's Travels from, I think, 1995 or 1996, which was shown in the UK on Channel 4, mm. was something viewed as something I could watch maybe later than I normally could have because it was like educational and about a book and based on a book, so really I was just learning. Uh, in reality, I was getting absolutely, really rather messed up by this one scene where Gulliver, played by Ted Danson, by the way, the immortal mm. Ted Danson, gorgeous face, gorgeous chin, gorgeous man. I don't think he's immortal. Is he not? No. Really? I'm pretty sure. Oh, well, we'll Google that. Uh, and he gets essentially attacked by this giant wasp that crawls out of his back uh, when he's having one of these weird... You know, he's he's not well in the head, that character. Uh, but that really, really got to me. It was a Jim Henson production, so it was like a real, quote-unquote, giant wasp. And that giant wasp haunted my nightmares. Oh, my God, so awful. But anyway, uh, if you haven't seen it at all, this miniseries, it won five Emmys and haven't even heard of it, just know this. It has Peter O'Toole, John Gielgud, Omar Sharif, Mary Steenbergen, Nicholas Lindhurst, guys, Nicholas mm. Lindhurst, Kristen Scott Thomas, and my old school friend Tom Sturridge. They are all, they are all in this uh, amazing miniseries. Amazing. Do you think that uh, Ted Danson, is that where he met Mary Steenbergen? I couldn't possibly comment or work it out without looking it up. Is that where he met Nicholas Lindhurst? I, yeah, with their, their torrid love affair. Mm. Yeah, well, we can only hope. Uh, there's also that great scene where you see him off chairs, obviously, taking a slash on, I think, Blenheim Palace whilst it's on fire, and this girl walks out of her her once-aflame room drenched in piss. Wow. <laughs> and that's very funny. Thank God that he, uh, he didn't record that on National Orgasm Day. Yeah, that would have uh, would have been for a wood fire, I think. Would have been. So that's one of the great peeing scenes in, in, in popular culture, alongside the, the, the one from the trailer for Night at the Museum 3. Oh yeah! Yeah, Everyone enjoy that. (laughs) I spotted a giant monkey piss, a red bus uh, with Cuban Fury on the side, just blasting past. That was a great spot. Yeah, it's just oh, there it is, there it is. Cross promotion between two studios. I haven't seen the trailer yet. Is it? uh, Is it one of those trailers where they cut to London and there's red buses and phone boxes and bobbies and there's a a bit with the four lines in four lines uh, with the four lines um, one more than the normal football strip are obviously they're in Trafalgar Square and they come to life, guys. They come to life. And then Robin Williams is there. No way. And there are snakes. No mm. way. That reminds me of the Ghostbusters. They puff Marshmallow Man. What would be the equivalent in London? What Apart would, from the lions, obviously. What, Bertie Bassett? Uh, yeah, I was going to Yeah, say, would it be a massive Bertie Bassett? I would love it to be, be a be giant awesome. Tunnock's wafer just stumbling <laughs> down me. Oh, you're going to make one of our Scottish listeners very happy with that reference. Yeah. Where are the marshmallow people from um, the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games? What scared you when you were little? I was going to say, we've seemed to have deviated somewhat from the from the question. Um, the, the the Jacob's Ladder for the under-12s, the Willy Wonka's tunnel sequence mm. from uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. 
uh, with Gene Gene Wilder, which is just mm. really stupendously dark, even to this day. And the music, um, the music, all of it, basically, all of the Dark Crystal and the closing bit of uh, of Raiders. Now I know that you're you're more freaked out by the spectral, the spectral angels, aren't you? And I was more of a melty face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guy. Yeah, it was always the angels. It was always that moment when they turn. And Bella goes, it's beautiful. And then they go, ah, we're not beautiful. We're actually you know, vengeful agents of God and we're going to destroy you. And you're the meerkat from the ads. <laughs> Hello. Compare the Nazi. Compare the Nazi.com. Compare the Nazi.com. Yeah, no, uh, that, that's, a, that's, a great, that's a great scare. And uh, because I was exposed to lots of horror films as a kid, because, you know, I, my parents were quite laissez-faire with that sort of thing. Uh, there's, a, there's a great uh, little film, little movie horror from the 80s called Superstition aka The Witch if you haven't seen it do check it out it's a really hokey really hokey it's got lots of it's very influenced by the omen it's got lots of weird deaths and stuff but uh, it's got it's got its moments and uh, there was a moment towards the end where uh, the the witch the evil presence that's in this haunted house has been unleashed upon the family staying there and uh, someone's trapped in the kitchen and there was a uh, the door the next to, to the kitchen uh, is lit up by a spectral spooky light and you just know that there's evil on the other side of that door that's going to come and get you uh, and that just that image of the light creeping under the door uh, scared the crap out of me and it's probably one of the reasons why I slept with my light on for many many years not now I'm okay now but back in the day and then we realised when we grew up that there's really no evil at large more profound than the evil of a teenager's bedroom anyway so <laughs> if you're outside you're probably better off this is a great opportunity for me to plug, I promised I would, BBFC have got a new ad for their 12A certificate, and they want everyone to watch it. So if you if you have any concerns about, fuck, that's boring, let's not bother with that. Well, Cut the shit out no, of that. You, well, <laughs> like, everyone that's just losing the, swears, the world to live. With all the swears, we probably have to. I was losing the world to live halfway through saying that. By saying the F word, you've just got a 12A, so oh, well done. bingo. So there you go, okay. it all ties in nicely. I would like uh, to say the thing that scared me most possibly was David Bowie's crotch in uh, Labyrinth. <laughs> Just if, just David Bowie's crotch mm. kept me awake at nights when I was a kid. Um, right, uh, that's enough for the questions this week. If you want to get in touch with us, you can uh, Twitter us. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. You can hashtag it uh, Empire Podcast. Otherwise, chances are we won't see it. You can Facebook us. We're Empire Magazine. You can email us podcast at empireonline dot com. Uh, okay, time now for our first guest. The Inbetweeners movie, the big screen version of Damon Beasley and Ian Morris's hit E4 sitcom, wasn't just an unexpected success when it opened back in 2011. It was the biggest comedy of all time in the UK, grossing an astonishing £42 million. With numbers like that, it was only a matter of time before Will, Neil, Simon and Jay took the clunge, sorry, plunge for a sequel, and lo and behold, The Inbetweeners 2, which opens next Wednesday, sees a quartet head to Australia for some hijinks. And speaking of hijinks, that's exactly what happened with The Inbetweeners themselves. Simon Bird, Joe Thomas, Blake Harrison, and belatedly, when he eventually showed up, James Buckley arrived in this very pod booth to talk to me. It was, as you might expect, chaos, but enjoyable chaos. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined in the pod booth. This is going to be utter chaos, because there's going to be... <laughs> Five people in a four microphone booth, uh, which is very interesting. We're joined by the stars of the Inbetweeners Two. Hello, hello, Joe Thomas, Blake Harrison, and Simon Bird. Uh, I know people will know your voices, but if you can just speak, so people can identify you, because this is radio. Uh, hello, I'm Blake. <laughs> I know I did that. Pointless. Hello, I'm Simon Bird. <laughs> hello, I'm Joe Thomas. <laughs> Good, that's helpful. That's, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, well done. Something for people really, you know, hanging their hats on yeah, as yeah, the interview yes, goes on. Yeah. Uh, guys, you, you've been reading the Empire uh, feature that's in the, the most yes. recent issue, where we uh, we made you, you know, undergo lots of, I guess, Australian cliches, humiliation, 
via Australian cliche. Yeah. Uh, the film is <laughs> largely set in Australia. Uh, which cliche proved most true? Probably us, sort of our pastiness and meagerness <laughs> yeah. in comparison to the Aussies is probably the pretty true. They're, pale, they're pale a superior and... specimen of man. I yeah, think, yeah. I think, yeah, and it does really make you feel are. quite emasculated. It is, it's men and boys. It's yeah. <laughs> it really is. But, uh, but apart from that, guys with uh, abs and they just make you feel bad on a general level. Well, yeah, I mean, we filmed quite a lot of stuff in a, in a water park uh, <laughs> where I think we... So we were obviously in our trunks and... Well, that's it, isn't it? That's all you wear in a water park. <laughs> um, <laughs> Trunks in a bow tie. Yeah, there was no, no way to finish that sentence in a way that actually would be true. Um, wet waistcoat. Goggles. Yeah. <laughs> Goggles, yeah. And, um, yeah, I suppose I, I've never really felt comfortable with my shirt off in a way that some men do. But I think if you're in England or if you're, if you're around other English blokes, I mean, English men take their shirts off and they haven't got very good bodies and so you kind of would fit in but in Australia they actually do everybody's kind of ripped is that yeah, that, yeah. that's the term yeah. that's the way to so stacked stacked ripped and yeah. Hench. Hench yeah. like a bench well yes oh that's a new one yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't even know the language for being muscly. This is the I don't even know the vocabulary. This is uh, bulgy. bulgy. Yeah. 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 Swollen. Yeah. Lumpen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> although I mean, actually haven't I mean having said this, although I've, actually most of the times we were in the the water park it was it was before it was opened. The, the agreement the we had in the water park was I've yeah. ever had. Yeah, we were getting picked up at like two AM to go and start filming at four AM. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was really weird because it'd get to about nine in the morning and you'd you'd think it was like three in the afternoon and because it was so sunny over there and so mm. hot, it, mm. it looked like it was as well. You, your body clock was really out of shape. Yeah. Well everything was yeah. <laughs> everything was out of shape, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um the other cliche that the Australians um very much subscribe to is just everyone's got a nickname. Yeah. Um, the, everyone in the crew had a nickname, and it, it took me so long to get to grips with it. Yeah. The guy who did the who was responsible for the stunts was referred to by everyone as Harfy, and it honestly took. I had to ask him about ten times to find out his name was Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they call him Harfy? Because he's quite short, so he's half a man. <laughs> he, was, he was really happy with it as well. He did not take to see that as an uh, offensive in any way. Yeah. He was like, "Yeah, I'm Harfy." So no, you're you not your Paul. So, what do you guys stand the nicknames? Do you have nicknames well, for each other? We can't say Paul. We can't say nicknames. We have actually. Well, we used to have. Um, well, what, what, what have we had? Uh, we don't really do nicknames. Well, we had. Well, Blake had a good one, there. which was you had one take. Blake. That was true. Because you only ever had one take. Because yeah. he was a, he was good. And then it was Wiggly. Wiggly, Wiggly Blake. And then, of course, it moved <laughs> on to its current incarnation. Which I'm not at liberty Which, to say. Yeah. Is it because it's too rude for a it's, podcast? Yeah, it's definitely it's too, rude. Too, rude. too rude. It's too rude to Blake. <laughs> <laughs> well, how do you feel about this nickname that can't be said? I'm not. I'm not massively happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, do you know quite, quite insulting, quite demeaning, and yeah. uh, it makes me sad. <laughs> There's yeah. a single tear rolling yeah, in your cheek. The yeah, there is. Uh, well, what's uh, what would James's nickname be? Because uh, he's not here yet. Well, uh, we've, had, we've got Bucky, Bucky O'Hare. We've had for have Buckley. We? Have we? <laughs> I've literally, have I've you? quite literally never heard that. <laughs> you know who Bucky O'Hare is, though, in the first instance. Yeah, but... He's a sort I've, of space-going rabbit. I've with never... With hair. Have you ever you referred to him? 
Buckers, I suppose. Buckers. No, we've got yeah, one for yeah, yeah. Ian, one of the writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we refer to him as Podge. He, he literally, this is like during the, like, the, the day, second really. series, he put on like the tiniest bit of weight, like yeah. not much at all. But <laughs> from now on, it's like whenever you're doing a wide shot, that's a Podge shot. That's only a Morris. Various different. Yeah, songs. whenever the um, trucks arrive with all the equipment, that's his uh, breakfast arriving. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> And when we sing a song about Ian Morris, it's like, he ain't heavy. Oh, wait, he is. Ian Morris, Podge. Amazing. Um, In our uh, set visit feature that ran a couple of issues ago, you guys seemed to take the slate for every take and wipe off Ian Morris and Damon Beasley's names. Oh, yeah. Oh, just Ian. We we really really like Damon. Damon's great. Fat. Oh, oh, wait, wait. Oh, we have have a late arrival. Here he is. Hello. James Buckley's finally arrived. Well, as we like to call him, Bucky O'Hare. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the hair man. Oh, yeah. Is that another gag, mate? Oh, yeah, sh- yeah. Hello. <laughs> How's it going? Carry on. <laughs> as you were. As you were yeah. <laughs> oh, classic Bucky, eh? <laughs> B-O-H. Here he is. Yeah, Welcome. We, you're, you're going they, to share a microphone because, you know, we're punishing you for being late. Fine. But, yeah, that's fine. Was, was they're asking about, they were asking about our nicknames. We obviously couldn't um, share Blake's. But um, Joe revealed that the nickname that we all refer to you by apparently is Bucky O'Hare. Have you ever I'm have you sorry. ever been called that? I mean, yeah, well, I mean, well, maybe I'm once. Obviously, behind my back. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I mean, I don't think it's even a behind your back one. I mean, it's not a. But I, I don't, I'm sure we've called him Bucky O'Hare once. Well, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how a nickname works, no, is it? No. <laughs> It's not something you've been... Not just a quote. <laughs> it was one set of James. Um, so we were talking about how you guys torture Ian and Damon, who graduated from writers and creators to directors on this one. That's right. Um, and uh, you were wiping out their names yeah, on Slate. Yeah, we had a list. We did have a little joke. You say gradu- graduated as well. It's like, um, you know, like, a, I don't know... Well, they a, a woman that's married like a wealthy man, yeah, or and, like, and he's now bringing out a single or something yeah. like that. Like he's yeah. paid for it all. Yeah, it's like graduating from like a special yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could have made things easier for them. Looking back, <laughs> I, I do feel a twinge of regret. Yeah, was it Ian the one who got most of the flag? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, he's the funniest to get a rise from. Damon's yeah. a bit more laid back. Yeah, and Ian's ready to snap. Yeah, it was good. I think the the most anger I've ever seen him was that day we, um, <laughs> me and old Bucky O'Hare developed a uh, hair boy here. Yeah. <laughs> we developed Damon a new hair. we developed a new joke of whenever we got a note from Ian of like um, pat him on the head, <laughs> being really patronising. <laughs> he telling him he's doing a really good job. <laughs> That's <laughs> like that's joke. It was like a sick child that won a competition or something. Like, do, do you want a photo with the boys afterwards? Do you want to be yeah. a director when you're older? Yeah. Yeah. That, that kind of thing. Was In going terms on. of the may have been of, a step too far. Yeah, <laughs> the kind of the heart, the the patience sort of threshold with that one, the time that it took from indulging it mm. in a good humoured way to being genuinely pissed off it's much shorter than any of the other like that one I still don't quite know how it feels about it because because it's like I mean we found it hilarious we were we were laughing <laughs> in it, right in his, in his face, face. Yeah. Oh, couldn't be and, closer um, to his face <laughs> and um, that sort of that justifies anything yeah. That, like oh, yeah. on the set of the in between is if something's very very funny then, mm. you, then you're allowed to do anything as long as it's funny <laughs> yeah. so every time 
he kept saying, no, no, I get it. It's very, very funny. I find it funny. I find it really funny. Like, I think it's great. Like, I find it funny. <laughs> We'd be like, why are you laughing then? He was saying, no, I'm not <laughs> he was saying I'm it was such a straight, miserable place. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't quite believe him. <laughs> Have those guys gone Hollywood though? Because um, those guys write over there, don't they? Now they have they're they largely do. based over sort there. Of. They kind of, they're squatting, I believe, in LA. Bit, yeah. yeah, Ian's got an American wife, and yeah. um, he spends a lot of time in America, mm-hmm. yeah. just podging out, <laughs> <laughs> just pod- podging all over the world. Well, what about you guys? Have you uh, been tempted to go Hollywood? So, I mean, you know, the first movie made more money than God. Oh so. God, they come, they come knocking, don't they? But, uh, just leave me alone. <laughs> Can you give me five minutes, please? I'm trying to. Please, I'm just trying to promote the second in between us film, <laughs> and then yes, I'll come and be in all of your films. Take a, take a rain check. Taking take a little break in the moment. Yeah. <laughs> no, we haven't. Um, <laughs> have we? No, we know. I mean, uh, we. Uh, Obviously, we haven't. Look at us. No, it's sad. It is quite sad. Actually, uh, prospects, but. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, uh, we'll be to fine. be fair, I mean, the in-betweeners <laughs> has got some following stateside. I think Anglo-files. Yeah, did, did you not hear about the first film we made? I don't oh, know whether you've heard of a little-known <laughs> figure of $32,000 <laughs> uh, <laughs> at the box That's office. 32000 yeah. Oh, individual thousand. 32. No, I reckon, I reckon after this second film, Hollywood's definitely going to come, come knocking. Definitely. <laughs> I was at the um, Harry Potter tour. Yes. A studio tour last <laughs> last night, okay. and uh, Idris, Idris Elba was there, big hot, big star, big massive star. Yeah, yeah. and big fan. I made him crack up <laughs> because I said the joke. Oh, this is all a bit of a novelty for me because this is the closest I'm ever going to get to a big budget film. Wouldn't <laughs> 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 <And> stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> was that not a little patronising? <laughs> <laughs> he laughed a little too long. <laughs> a little too hard. <laughs> all right, it's all right. I mean, all right, stop laughing now. Oh, so, stop yeah, laughing. All right, right in. Come on. <laughs> all right. But obviously, this one was, uh, you know, this one set in Australia. And I know you guys shot in Mary, is it? So, is it one of those places when you guys were there, like, it's one of the big painted population on the sign, so yeah, when you, yeah. they changed the city one. It was, um, I think the town population is 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 more people who are there passing through. I mean, there's 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 a pub, lovely pub actually, that we all sort of stayed in. Oh, it was great. I th- that was really, sort of, I think yeah. that was the most fun. That was the highlight. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. Because there was n- absolutely nothing to do there. It meant we all yeah. had to talk no to internet, each other. No, <laughs> yeah, which was yeah. really great. Yeah, but no, I mean that that was I genuinely loved being in in Mari. Australia is home to the 10 most venomous land snakes in the world. Yes. It's the reason I haven't gone because I'm yeah. I'm terrified. Well, yeah. We were terrified but then one snake. We moved from terror to kind of sort of lurid interest in seeing a snake. Mm-hmm. To eventually just disappointment. <laughs> Didn't no? see, yeah, it's a damn thing. We saw I mean, where we were in the outback as well, we were like promised, you know, so much wildlife and it, it, like there wasn't an animal stupid enough. We got so even. excited because we, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. one day, because we saw an emu. So we, we ran to check it out. It was a bush. <laughs> it was a bush um, with a, um, it, with a sort of, um, with a pole handle <laughs> next to it. 
So that looked like the neck and the bush looked like the body. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's as dangerous as it got. Yeah, it was... Well, no, the, the one... Well, it's just because the desert was... Like, there was nothing living in the desert. I mean, it was unbelievably hot. Just so flies. all you had was flies. Flies. Mm. Yeah. And, and flies everywhere. There were so, so many, many flies. flies. In your eyes, in your ears, just absolutely everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ian and Damon were like, oh, don't worry about them. They'll never show up on camera. And through the whole editing process, they've said, oh, no, it's fine, told you, they didn't show up on camera. And they've just done the, um, they've just got into the, the dub or whatever it's, it's called, and um, in high definition, you, they're very visible. <laughs> Damn flies. Yeah. Amazing. Incredibly visible. I mean, uh, yeah. Just all over the place. Yeah. I thought you guys... Uh, Quite uh, off-putting. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine the movie. Um, it was really too, Lord of the Flies. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is this going to be the, the last time you guys are, are on screen as the Inbetweeners, do you think, or...? Or do you think there yeah, might be yeah. more I down the line? I was surprised we were doing this one. Fun yeah. Cast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it is the last one, unfortunately. Just, it, it takes a long time. Well, it's, it's quite yeah. a hassle to sort it all out. It's the breaking of the fellowship, really. I mean, that's, Blake has to go back <laughs> to his group of elves. Yeah. <laughs> Simon back to his group of men. They'll and do me a, back to my gang of dwarves. They'll do a prequel or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And the last thing is, obviously, the Pythons are doing this um, uh, this amazing run of shows at the O2. Mm. So maybe in fifty years' time, can we see that? Maybe. I think I'd, like, I'd like if we were to do it. Um, it'd be sort of like less cynical, <laughs> like sort of like I, what? <laughs> not cynical, but like they. Yeah. What I found find so interesting was. Oh, you mean about, that they're kind of taking the piss out of themselves? Yeah, yeah. yeah the, I guess the sort yeah, of they're, yeah. they're, they're, like obviously it's Python, so it's just yeah. sort of absolutely sh- yeah. covered in irony. Yeah, yeah. And, um, but what? Um, it's got one down, five to go. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. This is what I found quite funny. Yeah, I'd like yeah, one of us to die like as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> Do you agree, but, um, James? <laughs> yeah. So, so all, like all those in favour of one of us dying? James, Joe, me? Yeah, I'm yeah. in favour of Wiggly dying. Yeah. I mean, okay, yeah. do, do I not get a same? You don't uh, need to vote. You, you don't need to speak. You don't ever again. Yeah, you won't be needing those. But they, what was interesting <laughs> ideas about them a lot is how I just thought they'd be much better friends. I just thought they liked each other a lot more. But they were just sort of a lot of them. You know, they found each other quite irritating. Well, same Whereas many of three of us, like yeah. the three of us, three of us, yeah, yeah. We get on really we get, well. We get, oh. we in a way, in a way, way it's sort of made us stronger. Blake's right there, guys. I can see him. Yeah. And this is no. what you have to put up with on set all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should bring Podge in just so to like yeah. 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 Podge, yeah. <laughs> You need a Podge bail out here because well, we will not better see us or hear us because. Or she'll be absorbing all sound and light. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I say, he's coming on the podcast soon. Uh, so, I mean, do you think he'll fit in this room? <laughs> to but, but no. If he does, I mean, you've got there's loads of stuff you've got to worry. Like usually his ears are just clogged up with cheese, <laughs> so you, you need to talk very loudly. Yeah, you. Um, he'll spray food all over whenever he answers a question, and then immediately like lick you to get all that in his mouth again. <laughs> yeah, no, he is fat. He is fat. <laughs> if he yawns, you might be sucked into the vortex. Yeah. So. I'll take that chance. I'll see how yeah. it goes. On that note, I have to let you go, uh, guys. It's been a pleasure, Joey, Bucky, <laughs> uh, Wiggly, yeah. 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 Wiggly, yeah. and Birdman. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Cheers. How did you get them all in here? Uh, well, it's, it's big enough. Yeah, it's big enough room. There was, you know, I sat there where Ali's sitting. Uh, and then we had four chairs. It's a very boring story, Phil, but basically we can get five people in this room. Like former no, 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 no. No one was sitting on anyone's laps. Uh, I think uh, Blake and 
Simon, okay. Blake and Simon shared a microphone. Cozy. And that's it. I'll give this fucking anecdote 12A. Oh, my God. Ooh, hello. This is the, just the, the home of dull anecdotes. Uh, anyway, speaking of which, it's movie news time. Uh... <laughs> Uh, normally we talk about stuff but I guess we want to talk about Comic Con no? I need to grill you you need to grill me James uh, Dyer and Nick DeSimley were also in Comic Con with me they did not make it to the podcast they fell at the first hurdle so it's up to me to talk about it but I don't want to just talk about it they want a monologue so Ali grill me I would like to know just how awesome Robert Downey Jr. was he's so awesome oh no he came, oh, he came on with a suit Ooh. he was dancing to oh, oh, like, oh, Michael Jackson oh, oh, like, tinted oh, so glossy. Lovely, lovely hair lovely lovely hair oh actually he, he, he had roses he had roses for people he was giving out roses to all the, the females in the Avengers cast which uh, let's be honest there was just two of them there uh, Kobe Smulders the lovely Kobe Smulders and Elizabeth Olsen the lovely Elizabeth Olsen Scarlett Johansson she was pregnant uh, but they're all very talented. And she wasn't there. They're all very talented and all had smashing blouses on. I want to ask you the most important question. Yes. What is he like? <laughs> he's just like he's just like a bundle of fun, isn't he, really? He's just like he comes he's almost exactly like Tony Stark. Almost exactly like he just, except for the beard. Oh he had a beard, he had a beard! <laughs> it's so good. It was so good. Josh Brolin was there being Thanos, right? Josh Brolin came out at the very end as Thanos. Not as Thanos, he wasn't, you know dressed up as a big purple fella but uh, he is glimpsed in Guardians of the Galaxy we'll get onto that in uh, in a second and also in our spoiler podcast but we do see Thanos we hear him speak for the first time in Guardians of the Galaxy he is voiced by Josh Brolin who I think is also doing the full mocap thing as well Uh, but Josh Brolin's casting was confirmed on stage at Comic Con he came out at the very very end of the Avengers 2 panel wearing the Infinity Gauntlet uh, which was the must have Hasbro toy uh, at this year's con, uh, which is basically Hulk hands, but one Hulk hand and painted a different colour and with the Infinity Stones in it instead. So that's what Thanos wants, ultimately. Uh, that's what the Marvel Universe is building towards, I guess, in Avengers 3. And Josh Brolin came out and he was challenging the Avengers, challenging, I challenge you, Avengers. Uh, and uh, Downey gave him a rose as well, and Brolin ate it. This is getting pretty sexy. He ate the rose. The The undertones were not lost on me, but then again, they so seldom are. Mm, you're very good at spotting the undertones. Uh, mm. uh, There's another good one now. Fergal Sharky just walked past the window. Hey. <laughs> there we go. And we've got uh, their rivals. The big rivals were, I guess, DC. Big rivals were DC. Yes, Marvel brought a uh, couple of things. Marvel brought uh, Ant-Man footage, mm. and they brought Ant-Man uh, director and cast. They brought Peyton Reed out. Uh, that was the very first thing Marvel did. Peyton Reed, Paul Rudd, Michael Douglas, Evangeline Lilly, uh, finally confirmed as Hope Van Dyne, who is the daughter of Hank Pym and Janet Van Dyne. Uh, Marvel fans will know that that's the original Wasp, so draw from that what you will. And they also brought out Corey Stoll, who'll play the bad guy, Darren Cross, a.k.a. Yellow Jacket. And it was an interesting panel, the Ant-Man panel, because obviously <laughs> Comic-Con, the whole Edgar Wright situation has... has uh, has been so prevalent over the last few months. And uh, there was a guy outside Comic-Con, outside the Hall H, uh, outside the whole convention centre, who was parading around with a sign saying Edgar Wright was right, and he was parading around for three to four days. (laughs) So I actually honestly thought that Peyton Reed was going to get booed when he was brought out on stage, Mm -hmm. and he didn't. He got a polite ripple of applause. He didn't get people braying and cheering and screaming his name, as I think Edgar would have done. done. But... uh, he brought with him his cast, who all looked, you know, fairly bewildered, as I imagine you would do in that situation. Uh, and he brought some footage that they they so they'd filmed some test footage, I guess, with Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd. Uh, their voices, we didn't actually see them. We saw Ant Man in the suit, 
riding a giant ant and jumping off what looked like a building but turned out to be a computer server. Uh, and the effects were good and it was fine and I think it placated people and I think it went some way to show, showing that, you know what, they might be able to salvage this. Um, he's not... But, He's not Edgar Wright, is he? But he's not a he's, he's not, not a newcomer to uh, Comic Con. Peyton he's, Reed, he's no, doing there a lot. So. As he said himself, it, it was his. <laughs> they were very, very much at pains to establish his credentials. A as a geek and B as an Ant Man fan, uh, and you can absolutely see why. It was his twentieth Comic Con. <laughs> uh, you know, across the years, he he was name dropping Jack Kirby. Uh, he's you know he once had a punk band called Johnny Quest for when he drew the flyer for their very first gig and he made the band into Avengers and he was Ant-Man so you know he's saying that you know I'm a massive fan he's not Edgar Wright very few directors are and I do wonder that you know Edgar's stylistic flourishes I think would have really set Ant-Man apart and I do wonder if this one's going to be a little bit more generic but the footage was good the footage was fine uh, second part of the Mar- Marvel panel was obviously Avengers uh, they brought them all out on stage bar Scarlett Johansson uh, even James Spader was there. He's going to voice Ultron. The footage was fantastic. For a full breakdown, you can go to the Empire website. But it had some images that were just fantastic and had the uh, the, the Marvel fan of me going, oh my God, this could be genuinely something special. We saw Hulk versus Hulkbuster, how, uh, which is uh, Iron Man's armor souped up to uh, to take on the Hulk, uh, we saw scenes of uh, we saw a scene of Thor grabbing Stark by the throat. We saw Ultron's first arrival, uh, crashing in an Avengers party where they're celebrating, uh, getting up some hijinks, uh, and it just looks good. And it finished off with a scene of um, Captain America's shield shattered in three, and Stark uh, looking on, looking utterly distraught as uh, uh, the Avengers lie around him at his feet defeated and seemingly dead but I'm, I'm sure that's not the case this seems pretty unequivocally win-win-win for Marvel sounds yeah. like you know they got away with the Ant-Man thing bit of a stumble but then they have this humongous <laughs> super Avengers everyone but Scarlett Johansson plus footage plus that incredible poster they did yeah, yeah. it was great love that poster if and you haven't seen the poster go online it's great it's really good we, we have this big expanded thing on the website too but how in any way could DC match that well I think the only way they could match it was to bring some Batman versus Superman colon Dawn of Justice footage Dawn of Justice it feels like they should always be accompanied by brackets and Devin Faraci does this every time he mentions his website he does a little asterisk by the title and then at the very very bottom he goes yes that is the real title it does feel like they should do that in brackets afterwards um, but uh, yeah they brought some footage they weren't on the official Warner Brothers roster uh, Warner Brothers started off the, the panels in Hall H which is the massive cavernous six and a half thousand capacity uh, mega room at the uh, San Diego Convention Center, and that's where basically all the massive presentations, movie presentations, take place. Uh, and to get in there on Saturday, people were queuing up from midday the day before and sleeping out overnight, camped out outside Hall H. I mean, they're really desperate to get in there. Uh, and of course, they're shattered by the time you get in there and they smell quite badly, but that's fine, that's, that's beside the point. Uh, so Warner Brothers were kicking off the panel. Uh, on the panel was Mad Max Fury Road. Footage is great, it's online if you want to check it out. Uh, George Miller was there as well, and the Hobbit, the uh, the Hobbit, the Battle of the Five Armies, uh, that was there as well. They only brought the teaser trailer, which is also now online. But it was a very very fun panel moderated by Stephen Colbert, who is possibly the world's biggest Tolkien geek, uh, and he was great. Uh, but they didn't advertise Batman vs Superman. Now I thought for sure they're going to bring something because we knew the Avengers were going to turn up, we knew that Marvel were going to pull out all the stops at the very end of the day. I just didn't think that Warner slash DC were going to give up without a fight. 
and let Marvel own the day. And lo and behold, they didn't. The very, very first thing we saw was concept art from Batman versus Superman. Uh, some notable stuff. I think we saw. Uh, so we what, saw, we Wonder saw, Woman was the biggest thing, wasn't it? Well, uh, in terms of the concept art? Oh, wait, sorry. No, yeah. no, no. Uh, we saw some concept art. It was basically, there was one shot of Superman walking out of what seemed to be an alien spaceship in the Arctic, presumably heading to a fortress of solitude. Uh, <laughs> his local fortress of solitude, his cost cutter, if you will, uh, carrying someone who could have been Lois. Uh, and then Zack Snyder came out on stage, talked for a second or two, and then said I brought some footage. And it was possibly the, the I don't know, it was, it was almost if, if you'd, if you'd fed all the coordinates into a geek computer and gone, what could possibly placate people? What could possibly get people excited in this room? People who've been quite cynical about this movie, been quite cynical about Ben Affleck's casting as Batman. Uh, this is the clip, I think, that will do that. It was a really good clip. It's it's uh, Batman for a very, very short clip. Ben Affleck as Batman on a roof in Gotham uh, in a souped-up, bulky bat power suit, if you will, that I guess he specially built to uh, to take on Superman, uh, he does very similar in Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Returns. Glowing white eyes, looks really cool. Pulls the tarpaulin off something on the roof. It's revealed to be the bat signal. It's shining into the sky. Camera pans round. We see the uh, the light hitting the clouds. The bat symbol is there, shining on the clouds, and then hovering in the middle of the bat symbol is Superman. Uh, and people were already losing their shit at this point. But then when they saw Superman. And yeah, there's just something about those two characters being together in the one scene which has never been done before. And then that was pretty cool. And people who maybe been critical of the movie just completely forgot <laughs> that they were being critical of the movie and just lost it. Uh, and there was Superman standing, hovering in the in the sky, looking down at Batman, looking not best pleased. His eyes glow red with burgeoning heat vision. And then we we cut back to Batman, or rather, Zack Snyder cuts back to Batman. I had nothing to do with it. Uh, cuts back to Batman, pushes in on his face as Batman grimaces. And the battle is on. And then presumably they'll battle for a bit. They realise they're actually best friends and go and kick Lex Luthor's butt. Yay. Yay. Good clip. Good clip. Looked great. Very good special effects. As with the Age of Ultron footage as well, there's, uh, there's, you know, they're, they're really trying to push the boat out, I think, in terms of getting these these sequences over to people, over to the effects houses as quickly as they can, not just for Comic-Con, but also just to get them done as quickly as we can. So the Hulk Hulkbuster stuff looked really, really good also. Now, obviously, there's a load more stuff that went on in Comic-Con, and we had that 10 best stories. Yeah. And there's, there's lots of stuff on the site to go look through. Yeah. Honestly, it was until Saturday, until the big Marvel DC brouhaha, it was a slightly underwhelming Comic-Con for me. Uh, there there was a sense that certain studios were giving it a bit of a wide berth this year. Legendary Pictures turned up as well. They made some big announcements. They made the announcement that Godzilla 2 is happening after Gareth Edwards finishes his dalliance with the Star Wars universe uh, and it's going to happen and it's going to come out 2018 something like that it's going to have three bad guys Godzilla's going to be fighting Rodan Ghidorah and Mothra uh, so that's that's Sur- cool surprisingly subdued response to that and surprisingly surprising announcement in some ways isn't it that they're actually going to be doing it not really you don't think so the first no. film didn't make didn't didn't destroy it at the box office no but it, it, it's it's made close to 500 million worldwide and it's still opening it's just opened in Japan to big numbers so I think that they'll feel Godzilla 2 I think will be the, the test case frankly if they gave a, if given the sequel to Pacific Rim which That's made true. 400 million dollars worldwide and I think the feeling is that um, the sequels can build on what the first one did which is traditionally the model for sequels so I think they'll be thinking the sequels might make 500 600 700 million 
And if it doesn't, okay, then we won't make any more. But if it if it goes on, then it could become a, a, a trilogy. And clearly, I think Legendary might be building as well the words of Godzilla King Kong thing because they also announced Skull Island, which came out of nowhere. Uh, they announced some footage. They had a teaser trailer for something which involved lots of jungles and rivers and lush, uh, dense vegetation. And we thought this is going to be a Jurassic World trailer. Turned out to be nothing of a sort. It was a teaser for Skull Island, which seems to be some sort of King Kong origin story or King Kong prequel um, which has been dated for 2016 despite the fact it doesn't have a director and they've they've approached Joe Cornish who has flirted with the likes of Star Trek 3 and A Good Day to Die Hard and uh, didn't get Die Hard 5 and he's probably thanking his lucky stars he didn't and he didn't get Star Trek 3 and I do wonder though I think Cornish is a smarter guy than that I don't think he'll take Skull Island but you never know you never know it might turn out to be a fantastic property but it was certainly certainly interesting but in this world of shared universes King Kong Godzilla being owned by the same company is I think we're building towards something even though as someone pointed out in my Twitter feed this Godzilla would be able to stomp that King Kong and not even feel it there's so much going on here uh, but there's one little bit of oh what a coincidence something else comic book and nerdy uh, happened just towards the end I believe of Comic Con Tim Miller is a, an established and well respected uh, visual effects artist uh, he has worked on the likes of Babe Pig in the City uh, Life of Pi Golden Compass you know all that sort of rhythm hue stuff he's been part of that company for a long time now uh, he is the guy who also did special effects for X-Men 1 and 2 and he is the guy who has recently released I think it's a couple of years old actually this, this footage it's been around for a while and he now has it leaked uh, but it's footage of Deadpool, the Merc with a Mouth. Uh, Ryan Reynolds uh, infamously half got it right, half accidentally got it horribly wrong when his character of Wade Wilson got amalgamated into this weird power-stealing, fighting-on-the-top-of-Digcott power station nightmare yeah. at the end of X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, and people have, I think, quite rightly dismissed what they did with it, at least, terrible. But he himself, as a cocksure, fourth-wall-breaking bunny man who is also, you know, physically the right shape and size and kind of has that presence, is, to my mind, a good Deadpool. He does he does get that right. And in this footage, which is about a minute or so long, you see him do all the stuff you'd expect, break the fourth wall, uh, make uh, a silly asides, uh, as he beats up about three or four goons inside a, basically a 4 by 4 as it drives through an underpass. Uh, and he's... Very funny, I enjoyed it a lot for the comedy, and also he gets to kick butt and kind of mess around a bit. What they did is they took um, Ryan Reynolds and they performance captured him. It's not actually him. Uh, he wears the red and leather, red and black leather type outfit with the two katanas in the back, and obviously the pistols. And yeah, he just essentially kicks ass in this very small confined space and is funny. And also in the back seat, uh, there is just into the back pocket of the seat, you can see a copy of Empire, which they mm -hmm. snuck in as a gag. Which guess which one covered is that's right. X-Men Origins Wolverine, that blue, cool, smoky, cloudy cover we did. Uh, so it's great to see that. Obviously fun to be part of that. And at the end it says, isn't that right, he says to the camera? He says, uh, he says hi, Tom, to, at, the end of the, uh, at the end of the piece, uh, which is a shout-out to Tom Rothman, who was the Len head of Fox. Uh, clearly didn't work, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. The, the, the timing of this, the, re the leak, uh, the day after Comic-Con, when Deadpool was everywhere. I took loads of shots of people cosplaying as Deadpool. Very, very popular character. Uh, could be seen to be a little, little yeah. suspicious, testing the waters, possibly, mm -hmm. see what the reaction's like. Looks good. Whether it can sustain a film, I don't know. But you're right about Ryan Reynolds. And um, he got a lot of flack for uh, Deadpool um, in X-Men Origins Wolverine. First of all, the character's never called Deadpool. It is Wade Wilson. 
but the thing that appears at the end is never actually called Deadpool. It, uh, it's called Weapon Ten, isn't it? Yeah, or something, something like that. Weapon yeah, Weapon 11, X. Yeah, or something like that. Uh, but uh, it's it's truly dreadful. And, and Reynolds has admitted that, and he, I think he even he's even said in the past that he knew going in what that character was going to end up like. And as a Deadpool fan, he's a massive fan. He was a little offended by it, but he was damned if he was going to let anyone else play Wade Wilson. So he went for it anyway. Mm. So. I think if they get a chance to rectify their mistake, then this is a, a good sign. This good would sign. be within and without this being Deadpool, their idea for the script, which has been written by Paul Wernick and Rhett Reese, the guys behind Zombieland, so it has been written, people have seen it, has been read, uh, is that it would be aware of, this is what Ryan Reynolds said to us, you and I, Phil, mm. just last year, about this time last year, uh, where it is a world where he is aware how terribly Deadpool was represented, Wade Wilson was represented in the X Men Origins Wolverine universe. So there you have it. Yeah, there is fun to be had with mm. that. Uh, he apparently is just one. You know, the script is one edit short of him jumping over the desk of the studio executive <laughs> and slicing his throat. Also, I should point out in this footage, it is bloody. There is swears, and yes. you know, there's a decapitated head. So it really does deliver on the Deadpooliness of all. Indeed, uh, I do love the the fact that Empire makes a cameo in there. I'm not so happy about the fact that it's clearly the bad guys who are reading it, not Deadpool, but that's neither here nor there. But it's been a good week for famous people and Empire because Mark Hamill, aka Luke Skywalker, was snapped in Ireland, uh, arriving in Ireland with a copy of Empire tucked under his arm. So, uh, God bless you, sir, if you listen to this, and uh, all is hell on you. And uh, thank you. If you want a free, a free subscription, then, uh, then email us, podcast at empireonline.com. Yeah, check out the picture. It's on our Facebook page. Um, do check it out. Do you want to? Do you want to say some some news from your mouth, Phil? I'm assuming he's already a subscriber, Mark Hamill. You'd have thought. Orlando Bloom and Justin Bieber. No, um, Jamie Fox has uh, is in talks to play Mike Tyson. I think he's actually in talks with Mike Tyson, who seems to be heavily involved in this one. Um, it's a biopic that will apparently involve. Benjamin Button technology to de-age Jamie Foxx, who is now, I think, 46 years old, the star, of course, of such movies as Ray and Miami Vice and Collateral and what are you laughing at? I'm just laughing Such great movies. And Django Unchained, of course, recently. And this year's Annie. Uh, so from Annie to Mike Tyson <laughs> in one in one or two uh, in one or two fell swoops, scripted by Terence Winter, of course, the man behind Sopranos and The Wolf of Wall Street, and to a much lesser extent, Get Rich or Die Trying. Um, which, although in Venice, that might be more of a template for this one, which is kind of a, a rags to riches to prison uh, story, of course. And uh, be interesting to see how this comes together. There's been some really superb boxing biopics in the past. I believe Paul Newman played Rocky Graziano, of course, uh, Robert De Niro in Raging Bull. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had uh, Russell Crowe in Cinderella Man. And uh, Jamie Foxx's Mike Tyson, what do we think? I, I want to see the button Mark Benjamin that will get this job done. It'll be incredible to see how they visualise or... Is he going to be t- a tiny baby Mike Tyson in the ring, do you think, if he's going to go all the way back to... Maybe if they hit too much Benjamin Button. yeah. Could, could go too far you move through the wall of weight brackets pretty much when something has this kind of writer attached to it and Jamie Foxx is a very good actor as we saw in uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 I really want to see what can be done with this project it's a very interesting life frankly I'm all ears and I can't wait to see how Jamie Foxx uh, does his biting wit <laughs> could be interesting I thought Ali was was pretty pretty stolid turgid stuff this needs to be the warts and all story of Ali there's plenty of or wars. Ali uh, Ali Yes. Michael Mann's Alley. Well, that hasn't actually been released in cinemas yet, but he um, he's begging me for the official get-go 
green light approval he kind of did it on spec I think that was his mistake mm. and I'm just summing up whether I can handle you know that much blue on, on my visage you're wearing blue right now mm. uh, obviously this is an audio thing people can't see but Ali is wearing a blue jumper right now Michael Mann was a comic con yeah he was a comic con so was Christopher Michael Nolan Mann. Christopher Nolan a comic con both of them wearing slightly pained expressions on their face as if to say why are we here uh, I don't want to be here please let me leave uh, I don't think they were among the celebrities who were taken to the floor in disguise Daniel Radcliffe walked the floor as Spider-Man Apparently, Peter Jackson walked the floor as a... Well, not apparently, there's a shot of him doing it. Uh, Peter Jackson walked the floor as an evil jester as well. Michael Mann walked the floor as a, as a man who, who was regretting his life choices. I think, <laughs> that led him to this point. I think Christopher Nolan was walking the floor as Jareth. <laughs> it's pretty good. Nolan had never, never gone before. He made three Batman films. Oh, I've never gone before. That is a very, very... Uh, it's a statement to be proud of. It is. And now, um, he's, now he's ruined it. Uh, the Tyson biopic, I don't know, as long as they don't shy away from the, uh, you know, the, the the fact that he has in the past been an absolute... How can we say this without... We can't say we it. We can't say it. No. But, you know, that's the hope, let's hope it doesn't shy away from some of the more... Uh, it's got distasteful to. elements of his life. Uh, I just want to mention for one very last thing, uh, Dick Smith, the amazing makeup artist, uh, one of the godfathers of modern makeup, passed away. Thursday at the age of 92 a ripe old age uh, he was responsible for amazing makeup on The Godfather he did Marlon Brando's makeup on The Godfather he squibbed Jimmy Kahn for the the, uh, the Tollbooth sequence uh, The Exorcist he's responsible for Linda Blair's look in that movie Taxi Driver mm. and all sorts of other movies uh, just his, his his impact on the world of makeup uh, is is keenly felt and uh, he was hugely inspirational there's great uh, very heartfelt tributes from the likes of the great Rick Baker and Guillermo del Toro which you can find online there's a really good DVD extra on Taxi Driver of the way that they shot that final sequence in the corridor mm. the finger coming off and the way he'd yes with a little I think fishing fishing line I think he'd used to yank it off yank it off which is a really yeah. interesting insight into the way that he worked check Indeed. it out I also feel like we should point people towards Pint of Milk Monthly as I'm now calling it Empire Magazine has a new issue. It does. Thank you. Uh, I completely forgot about that. Uh, yes, new issue of Empire is out. Uh, it is uh, £3.99 in all good and evil news agents, also available on the iPad. Thank you, Phil. Just had to be a new copy. Uh, it has two covers split run this, this month. Uh, it is The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies. The Hobbit, The Hobbit, The Battle of the Five Armies cover. Uh, Smaug, The Magnificent, is on one cover. Bard, the slightly less magnificent, but nonetheless Bowmanier, is uh, is also on the other cover, played by Luke Evans. Those two may or may not face off in the Battle of the Five Armies. Also inside are great features. Uh, we have a wonderful feature on the on the Hobbit. Uh, you know, Nathan flew out to New Zealand, spent a lot of time in the edit suite with Peter Jackson, got some fantastic stuff. We have uh, a great shoot, an interview with Peter Capaldi uh, on the uh, the eve of his debut as the new Doctor Who. We have a fantastic feature on Sin City, A Dame to Kill For. Uh, great profiles with John Hamm and Marion Cotillard. And I really love the feature uh, about Lucy, Luke Besson. Oh. Well, who wrote that, Phil? Oh, me, I wrote that one. You wrote that Yay. one? Good, good, good. Very kind of you. Uh, there's a great set visit from uh, Exodus, Gods and Kings, which is in the on-location section. George Miller talks... Mad Max Fury Road there's all the usual movie reviews and news and nonsense and Brian Cox the great Brian Cox is one of the funniest pints of milk I've ever read courtesy of Mr. Alistair Plum so do check that one out £3.99 please go and buy it otherwise I won't be able to pay my rent and I'll lose my home and I'll be penniless and on the streets (sighs) 
Time now for a second guest, uh, or if you're keeping score at home, technically he's our fifth guest this week. Uh, but like the in-betweeners, he's a sitcom star hitting it big on a silver screen. He is, of course, Chris Pratt, who's been consistently brilliant as the dumb but warm-hearted Andy Dwyer on Parks and Recreation for six seasons now. And he's been grabbing Hollywood's eye for a while with supporting roles in the likes of Zero Dark Thirty, Moneyball, and yes, Movie 43. But he's about to go stratospheric with the lead role of Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, in Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy, which opened this week. He's also the lead in next summer's Jurassic World. He came to London recently to talk to our very own Star-Lord, Ali, over breakfast. Nice! Right? You know what? We're ground, We're breaking ground. We're constantly breaking new ground, Ali. This is incredible. Um, I've just revealed it to Chris. We're now recording because I'm that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Chris is eating his breakfast. I would describe it as nutritious. Yeah, I would describe it as delicious and nutritious. It's got spinach going on. we got a little bit of scrambled eggs here. It's nine in the morning on the massive Guardians of the Galaxy press day. Mm. I will be interviewing Chris three times today. It's going to be incredible. That's a record. It is an entirely new record. No one's ever Ripley's, done it before. Believe it or not. Now, in between you eating your food, I'm just going to quickly ask you a few questions. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, that has quite a few very special words for entirely new things. Like, you know, you have new guns, new worlds, new prisons. Everything's got a name. Everything's different. Mm-hmm. What is the name of your guns? What, what are they called? Blasters. They're just called blasters. They don't have any pet. From, from what I understand, we just called them blasters. And you've got these special boots as well that allowed you to well, kind of fly, kind of hover. Yeah, thrusters. Thrusters, boosters. I've got blasters, thrusters, then I've got... A lot of pretty cool gadgets, actually. Yeah, and I, I guess you weren't allowed to keep any of them after the shoot. No. I did steal my jacket, though. You did? Yeah. That's I have, awesome. I have a Peter Quill jacket. It's going to be a very good Halloween night when you bust <laughs> that one out. Yeah, I just picture myself, ten years from now, drunk and being escorted out of a children's hospital, squeezed into my Peter Quill costume, trying to convince them that I'm there to help, when really I'm just, like, stealing prescription medication. <laughs> I love the idea of you shouting, but I am Peter Quill. I'm Star-Lord. And you're like, who? Like, exactly. And you're like, no, seriously. My first, I guess, not even unserious question, but slightly silly question is from my friend Phil, Mm -hmm. who said that he saw a video of you where you were being interviewed and you started showing somebody how to braid hair. Yes. Well, I grew up with a sister, so I knew how to braid. Had braided my wife's hair for, you know, every night for the past few years. Wow. When we're together, she likes to have her hair braided. And yeah, that's a, a special skill, apparently. An intern's hair from Entertainment Tonight. <laughs> while I was doing a, an interview the other day, and people have just really run with that story. They're really excited about it. Honestly, it was the last thing I was possibly expecting. <laughs> Me too. I kind of didn't even re- really rem- remember doing it. And there's, and there's so much like you've done before everything kicked off for you. Like I was listening to the fantastic Kevin um, Pollock's show. Yeah. I discovered that you... I knew that you came from like a wrestling town. Yes. But you are in a movie here with a professional wrestler. Yes. If you were in a, the same weight category, and I'm guessing you're not. Well, we are in the same weight category for mixed martial arts. Interesting. Which is anything over 205 is considered heavyweight. We would have, like, if I were ever a professional fighter, if I ever did that, I would have to fight someone like Dave Bautista. And I'm certain it would take no less than 20 seconds for him to paralyze me for life. This sounds like an insult, but he is the size of three men. He just takes over the room. Mm-hmm. It must be difficult to, um, you know, pretend. I mean, you're fighting, obviously, you're not actually fighting on set, but you think you actually, we're all pretending to fight. You are actually capable of breaking out of a prison. There is a chance that you could possibly do this. Mm-hmm. With our group? Yeah. But he, yeah. he could actually, you know, 
kick oh. down a door. Yeah, people are always like, who would win between you and the Avengers? And I'm like, in a real street fight? <laughs> we have Dave Bautista. Like, we would we'd beat anybody. And the other thing I loved uh, that I discovered is that you... And I was interviewing somebody else the other day, and they said they were a door-to-door salesman as well. But you, for a good couple of years, yes, actually sold it. Mm-hmm. Coupons, mm-hmm. door-to-door, preparing you for you know auditions, yes. obviously in the future. Oh, totally preparing me for auditions in the future. And then you you were you were salesman of the year. Is mm-hmm. that is that plaque still in your house somewhere? <laughs> I do still have the bulletin. <laughs> yeah, I was pretty proud of that. They put your picture in there, Monkey Boy Pratt. I think I was rookie salesman of the year. Wow. I broke some rookie records. And then you got to go to Jamaica, is that I right? A, I got a free trip to Jamaica, that's right. I went to stay at Sandals Resort in Jamaica, where I had one of my very most embarrassing moments, spilling an entire tray of mudslides on the head of a girl named Carolyn that was, like, really super cute and from one of the other offices that I'd always sort of seen her picture in the bulletin and thought, man, that girl's cute. Oh, I can't believe I'm going to be in Jamaica with Carolyn. And then I spilled a tray of mudslides on her on the, for- the formal night like the night where everyone was dressed up and like dressed really nice anyways Carolyn Cordova was not having it yeah I can imagine and of course you know you know that that's the best chat up line I can think of is mm-hmm. pouring several drinks over someone yeah it's like that the secret or the game you know <laughs> it's like if you really like a girl dump dump a drink on her on accident yeah, it's the final chapter of the game yeah and finally if all else fails mudslider mm-hmm. um <laughs> How often do you get recognized for your work on the OC? Because there are fans of that show that are rabid. I know. From time to time, it happens. Usually people like to inform me of the, their, the, the distinction. They're like, I love your work, but I loved you on the OC. It's as if to say, it's as if to say I loved you first. You know yeah. what I mean? I was there before you got cool. Bro. Yeah, I was there before it was cool. I liked you before it was cool to like you. Now, when I spoke to you on the phone for the magazine, uh, you told me about the worst day you had on set which was being underwater with an ear infection. Yes. On maybe the last, the penultimate day on mm-hmm. set for Guardians of the Galaxy. I wanted to ask you afterwards, what was your best day? Was there a day on the set of this film? You were saying it was like 85 days to shoot or something mm-hmm. like that. What was your best day when you went, this is it, I am living life? There were a lot of those days. There were a lot of days. I mean, I think I would say, you know, uh, the day that James Gunn walked me, that I arrived on set walked into this like beehive of activity at Shepard and Studios and they had this essentially this war room which is this giant like essentially it's like a warehouse half of it was wardrobe and the other half would, had been all the concept artwork and so it was a scene by scene you could essentially see what the movie was going to look like what these vast worlds would look like with the colors of the sky and it was everything that's going to inform the animators into, on making the movie and so the first time I sat down or actually just walked through and saw the look of the film. And I was looking at this concept artwork, some of the wardrobe concept artwork had my character, and it was it, they were pencil sketch drawings and it had my face on yeah. them. And that was the moment, that was like one moment that I'll never forget. I look cool. Yeah, I stole a couple of those paint, uh, drawings. I have no doubt. And I suppose obviously you're asked a lot about Parks and Rec, and maybe you will give that answer as, as the question I'm about to ask you, but what is your favorite f- TV show on TV right now? What's the thing that's currently stuck mm. in your stuck in your mind? What, you want to end this interview right now and go and watch it? Oh man, I really like the UFC. I like UFC stuff. So oh really? There's like a TV show called The Ultimate Fighter. I really like that. I of course love my wife's show, Mom, on CBS. Well played. Which is uh, really very funny and endearing and, and charming show. What else? 
course, we love Game of Thrones. Yeah, you're an HBO fan. True yeah, HBO it. fan. There's um, The Only Way is Essex. Wow. That show is hilarious. Did you pick that up whilst you were here, mm-hmm. shooting this film? Yeah. I, you are a magnificent human being. Yeah. The Only Way is Essex. These girls, whatever. It's like, whatever. It's like, I, I said, like, John, whatever. It's like, cheat on me when I was on Ibiza. It's like, whatever, no. Did you, what, you know, like, we weren't together. It's like, yeah, but you said, like, you miss me. He's like, what is that? You're like, you're my, you're my your mother. I don't know. Sometimes I wear ski goggles to the club because, you know, whatever. It's like, sort of cool. It's like my own look, you know? This is fucking, guys, I love it so much. It's the Jersey Shore of... And then some. And uh, what about Geordie Shore? Geordie Shore? Oh, there's Geordie Shore. Your oh. eyes are lighting up. It's like, Geordie Shore, I cannot do it justice with words. Yes. But your next mission, sir, Yes. is to look up Geordie Shore. I'm go- I will. That's, that sounds perfect. That's incredible. Any other British TV that struck your fancy when you were here? That was the one that really grabbed me. It really grabbed my wife first because she loves all that stuff. Because that's, that's also, we like just like the garbage on TV, you know? Yeah. Like, we love the dumpster fires. Like, um. <laughs> <laughs> you like finding Bigfoot. <laughs> that show's the worst. I have a tweet that I thought was pretty funny last year. I said, unless I missed an international news story, finding Bigfoot should probably be called not finding Bigfoot. They don't find him. If they found him, it wouldn't wait to reveal it on a cable <laughs> television show. It would be all over the news. There, we heard something. Over there. Where? Where? Over there. Oh, we just missed it. It's like, come on. It's such bullshit. Look, it's some hair. No, no, it's it's some deer hair. It's a deer hair. We came this close. <laughs> but recently, they oh, went... Oh, really? There's deer everywhere. They went to like the Himalayas and just got in a helicopter and just flew around. Yeah. <laughs> Here we are in the Himalayas. Oh, well, there's mountains down there. We're close. I can sense it. Anyway, that's a separate conversation. Wow. Uh, my other one is, we've got this little feature in the mag called What's Your Game? Yes. And I love the story of how in some of the first auditions for Parks and Rec, you were playing GTA 4 like as part of the, yes. the thing. And you discovered a cheat or a code that allowed you to, and I quote... Was it drop a a, a water ski or, or a, a hover? Spawn a hovercraft yep. and drop a ho- It says, what are you, she's like, Andy, what are you doing? I said, oh, they just released a new cheat codes for GTA. Look, I can spawn a hovercraft. Watch. I'm going to drop a hovercraft on this hooker. <laughs> and I just did it over and over and over again until they finally were like, okay, Chris, we got it. You have to stop doing it. You have to stop it. Here's the job, okay? Just Do the scene again. Do another scene. And I was like, I can't. Watch, <laughs> but, but are you a big gamer? I mean, do do you do you when you're not watching any, any the only ways Essex? <laughs> you know what? I'm not. I'm not. Right, I don't. I don't even have a game system. Wow. I keep like Xbox and PlayStation keep giving me game systems, and then I just give them to my nephews. <laughs> oh, the luckiest kids! <laughs> the, the luckiest world. kids are like, oh, sweet. Um, so yeah, I I um I don't have yeah I don't really have. I mean, I have a I have a son who's two and I imagine he's going to get into games at some point and at that point I'll probably re- reignite my passion for gaming but I mean back in the day were you really into like you know Mario Kart or something or yeah I loved like original Nintendo back in those days yeah it was like Super Mario Brothers it's the Legend of Zelda the original Legend of Zelda Contra Contra remember Contra Akari Warriors um this is like my brain is exploding yeah um you know, obviously Tetris. You know, Mario Kart came out. I think Super Mario Brothers 2 came out. And I never... 
like I beat the original Super Mario's, but I never be, never beat Super Mario's two. And I never had like a play, uh, Nintendo two or whatever. I stopped at regular Nintendo. You, I mean, we've just got a couple of minutes left, but I've got to ask you. You currently got. Let me count. Is it two or three characters in Lego of you? Obviously, three. One's obviously Emmett, the yep. Lego movie. You know, here you've got Peter, Peter Quill. Quill, and they and I've just approved and seen the look for my character Owen in the Jurassic Park. Amazing. Uh, the Jurassic Park Lego that will be. Is this um, gonna, with the kind of a beigey top that we see on the motorbike? That's still no, no, no. That's just no. It's a different. It's a different look. Oh. It's a different look. My other look. My, my other. Uh, my other shirt. Your alternate outfit. Mm-hmm. Like Ken and Barbie go to the beach. This is the different. This outfit. is yeah. This is Malibu Ken. I think I might be the only actor in history with three. I think Sam Jackson, Harrison Ford, and that list. They've all had two. I joined this like pretty exclusive list of having two. Shit. As far as I know, I'm the only one with three. The I'm, only one. You're the only one three, and I'm interviewing you three times today, so I'll have to bring it up every single Whoa. time. So it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure's been mine. Thanks for letting me eat during this. I'm sorry that I was like probably scarfing and making crazy slurping sounds. I edit the mother, so we'll see how this one works out yeah. in post. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, you bet, man. That was nice. And now here's the uh, the science bit about Squarespace, our lovely sponsors. And here to give you the science bit is Mr. Ali Plum. Hello and welcome indeed to the Science Bit of the Empire Podcast, where Ali, the editor, that's me, by the way, tells you just a little bit more about our sponsor, Squarespace, and how to make use of their free trial and discount deal. Thank you for listening. Always appreciated. Anyway, if you're not already in the know or missed Chris saying it earlier, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, portfolio or online store for a free trial. That means no money. And 10% off your first purchase on new accounts. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE25. EMPIRE25. 25 is the number not written out, just with two and then five. You want more details, though, and that is understandable. So just for you, here are a few more reasons why you should use Squarespace. For starters, Squarespace is very easy to use indeed, as well as being user-friendly and doing all the tricky stuff for you. Search engine optimization, hosting, and making your site mobile, tablet, portable device ready. Just for starters, they've also got a huge vault of pre-prepared designs and style options to be getting on with that you can tweak to your taste later on. Sign up for a year and get a free domain name. Yes! Enjoy an on-hand support team working 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for you. And this is all for $8 a month, which, as I mentioned earlier, a free trial and 10% off your first purchase with the Empire Podcast's very own offer code, which is, sing it with me. Don't sing it, please. I'm not going to sing it. Empire25 via squarespace.com. Com. Again, thank you for listening. You are awesome people. I appreciate every one of you in an individual and unqualifiably wonderful way. Goodbye for now. Okay, let's start the uh, review section with Guardians of the Galaxy, Marvel's biggest gamble to date. Before we do get into this, this is obviously going to be a truncated review. We will have a much, much deeper look at the film in our Guardians of the Galaxy spoiler podcast. That will go up on Monday, August 4th, Monday, August 4th, featuring James Gunn, the movie's writer and director, talking about the film's biggest secrets. Oh, and four of us, Egypt's banging on about it as well. So book market, air market, water market, do whatever the hell it is that you do, but please download it. So what of the film itself? Ali? 
Right, well, this is a tough one because I want to explain to you a brief precy of what it's about. Obviously, there are some characters which you presume are guardians of the galaxy, and you might presume because it's of the galaxy, it's set in space. You're right, it is set in space, and it has aliens in it. They have multicoloured skins, and it's all very hip and vibrant and 60s and 70s and really lush and fun and exciting and kind of cartoony, but in the best possible way. Mm. But how do I set it up? Well... <laughs> Well, well, well. This is a movie that has about ten minutes, I think, of of a, of acclimatization, uh, where you get used to Xandar, which is a planet, and the Kree, which are a race. And the Xandorians and the Kree, they're against each other. There's a radical member of the Kree. He's like a zealot. He's kind of like a fundamentalist. He's played by Lee Pace. Uh, he's got lots of patchy, weird makeup and a kind of cowl thing and a massive hammer. What's his name? His name is... Ronan the Accuser. He accuses people. He says, Yes. You, you are nasty. He goes, Yeah. Go home. You've been bad. No, he doesn't say any of that. He says, Life is a roller coaster. You've just got to ride it. Uh, yeah. So he so is... You said best when you say nothing at all. He says He says stuff like that. <laughs> He's classic I Ronan. I said that. Classic Ronan. <laughs> you said best. Um, <laughs> he does not sound like that in any way. <laughs> He's the bad guy. And so who are facing off <laughs> against that bad guy? Well, allow me to tell you five people. Westlife. Well, I say five people, I mean five Irish singers. Uh, <laughs> so there are five people. But when I say people... I actually mean one human yes. played by Chris Pratt. Yes. He is Star-Lord, also known as Peter Quill. He was abducted at the age of eight, I believe, in the 80s. Uh, his mother, who is dying of cancer, gives him a mixtape called Awesome Mix Volume 1. And he gets abducted into space and becomes a member, as he grows up, of a, a group called the Ravagers, who are kind of uh, are headed up by... Uh, a character called Yondu who's blue and can kill people with a dart that he keeps in his back pocket and that he can float around and go through people's eyes uh, he's played by Michael Rooker and so he becomes this kind of thief this charming charismatic obsessed with the 80s you know rogue uh, then he gets involved with four other characters one of them is another alien uh, this is uh, an alien called Gamora who's played by Zoe Saldana. She is slick, uh, she has long blades, and she's an assassin. Then there's this absolute nut job, totally deadpan, mental case, who can't really understand what people are saying uh, in any way, uh, but just about gets by. That's Drax the Destroyer. He's played by WWE wrestler known as Dave Bautista. Very nice man. Hands the size of iPads. He is then also joined by a human that is not a human. A tree, in fact, an arboreal menace, a big, massive plant called Groot. I am Groot are the only three words that he says. He is voiced by Vin Diesel. Then finally we have, as the final member of the Guardians of the Galaxy, you have the raccoon-like being, a cybernetic, cybernautic rocket machine who creates stuff out of stuff. He's a tinkerer. He has massive guns. He's very clever. He's wisecracking. He calls everyone an idiot. It's Rocket Raccoon, who's voiced by Bradley Cooper. Those are your guardians of the galaxy. They must follow the path of a MacGuffin, which Ronan wants. Ronan is enthralled to Thanos. It's all very complicated. It's all very space-based, but it is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Yes. Indeed. Yes. And seen, I am sorry. Done. It is a barrage of information at the very beginning of the film. You're given a lot of strange names and a lot of strange planets to process very, very quickly. But once you get past that, once you get a handle on who's who, I, I think this is incredibly fun. I've seen this film twice now, and I think it actually becomes more fun second time around once all the little surprises and things are, are wrinkled out once you know they're coming. Um, and this is a 
character movie first and foremost there, there's good action sequences but not great action sequences in this uh, for me it's about spending time with these five characters and right from the off you, uh, I think it's a really skillfully written uh, script by James Gunn and Nicole Perlman who is a Marvel in-house writer who started the script and then James Gunn took it over I think it just really skillfully sketches out these characters very very quickly so the minute we see Chris Pratt who you know, who's Star-Lord, he's dancing around, he's singing to himself, he's very roguish. You get who that guy is, you get who Drax is from the off, you get who Rocket is from the off, and, and, and even Gamora and Groot. But what the film does very, very skillfully as well is that it gradually reveals hidden depths to those characters. So by the end, for example, uh, not to give anything away, we'll, we'll talk about stuff in the spoiler special, but this movie actually moved me in a way that I didn't think it would going into it. Uh, this was Marvel's biggest gamble. This is a comic book that not many people have read or heard of, uh, and uh, to ter- turn it into a $200 million blockbuster uh, was, was, was a huge risk, and I think it's really, really paid off. This is such a fun and such a funny movie uh that i you know and it for me it feels like the best star wars film we've seen in a long long time certainly since uh none of those prequels that mm. people would give five stars to we don't want to talk about those but uh, they were but, funny uh, though really funny. they were very funny i would like to say it wasn't quite as funny as i was hoping it to be and maybe that's because they had an incredible trailer a trailer that seemed to me to promise everything and sometimes you can have a trailer that's almost too good for a movie but uh it, it occasionally was a little bit flat with the dialogue rocket raccoon tends to call just everybody an idiot and i felt like i maybe wanted a bit more shazam that is not really that big a flaw it is still a riot of color and fun and mm. and and at times extreme silliness which you don't really see in many marvel movies also it's not a superhero film i no. think that's very very clear to get that across uh you can go into this having not seen any of the previous marvel movies even though thanos does appear uh, and you can absolutely get on with this movie and none of the characters are superheroes none of them have superpowers per se Drax and Gamora are a little stronger than your average uh, humanoid uh, Groot can regenerate but still they're not flying around, they're not swinging magic hammers they're not turning into massive green hulking beasts uh, and I think in, in that way, strangely enough, even though it features a talking tree and a talking raccoon, it's going to be more accessible for a lot of people. And I've got a feeling this one's going to be pretty big. And it's, it's damned enjoyable. It does have flaws. The bad guys are very weak. Uh, Lee Pace is running the accuser. Mm. Might have been more interesting had he started singing boy stone songs. Uh, otherwise, he's a little bit on the bland side. Yeah, and the final act is a lot like the final acts you've come to you, you've, you've come to expect, I guess, from the past few Marvel movies. It still works. I, I agree with you on the emotional side of things. By the end of it, I went, this has been a two-hour movie, and I genuinely care about these five characters. But... We'll get into that in the spoiler special because I disagree with you to an extent. I still think that uh, there's a spectacle. Yes, uh, stylistic similarities are, or in terms of what happens in previous Marvel movies, maybe to an extent, but I still think the character stuff that happens within that is good enough to make it work. Uh, I'm really Phil, chuffed what, about that because I was never 100% sold on the James Gunn-Kevin Feige analogy about how the Avengers are the, are the Beatles and, and these guys are the Rolling Stones. I think the Avengers are the Beatles, these guys are Westlife. That's the worst review of this movie you have ever heard. <laughs> no one's going to go see that movie now. I am. Okay. I'd like to see it again. Two I really, tickets I, for the Westlife there. I, um, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I'd like to see it again. Good. Good, good, good. They're not Westlife. Oh, Westlife They're bewitched. Bewitched. Okay. Much I don't better. know. I was never... I just the Rolling Stones. I just, there, there's something else. There's They're another not the band Stones. out there that they are that isn't... The Counting Crows. The Counting Crows. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh. Hootie and the Blowfish. Terrible. <laughs> no! Early Genesis. Stop, stop doing this. Early Sid Barrett era Pink Floyd. The Undertones. Yes! He's gone, he's gone past again. Duran Duran. It's amazing. All right. 
got one more film to talk about in how, fake, how, fake. How many stars did we give it? Oh, sorry. We gave it four stars. Four stars. I thought that was <laughs> presumed of what we were talking about. Four stars for Guardians of the Galaxy. That is a recommendation. Uh, and also out this week, the other big film out this week is Michelle Gondry's latest slice of, well, Gondrification. Gondrification. Uh, Mood Indigo, starring uh, Audrey Tattoo and Roman Jury. Uh Thoughts on this one? Phil, you have two minutes. Thanks kindly. Um, it, Gondry, uh, Gondrification, it, you, you know, it's got a lot of the inventiveness that we know and love about him. You, you expect with Gondry that he's going to bring a story, but he's going to layer it and embroider it with kind of weird Heath Robinson touches of of, of kind of mechanical stuff and mice and, and, and a, a machine that makes cocktails by by you know, according to the notes that you play on the piano, the piano cocktail, um, it's got this dance called the Big Lamo, which is a, a sweeping the office at the moment, um, and uh, all of that stuff. Lots of quirk and idiosyncrasy. What it probably doesn't have is the Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind sort of emotional weight. Um, it is a love story between Roman Juris and Audrey Tattoo's characters, in which it's not too much of a spoiler to say that that one of them becomes ill and so there's a tragedy built into it all these flights of fancy it's a, it's like a waking dream it's a daydream of a movie and uh you know it's kind of lovely for that but it's also almost too much you almost feel like you're pinned to the wall and having weird stuff thrown at you mm. like you know like somebody who's been watching cbb's for a million years um combined with sort of the most imaginative person on the planet um, and it's almost too much imagination if that's such a thing it's based on a French no- novel uh, Froth on the Daydream by Boris Vian a lot of the quirk comes straight from there the two uh, kind of c- combine nicely the two voices but there's just a bit too much going on we gave it three stars three stars it is a recommendation uh, so visual visual feast yes okay cool uh, alright also out this week is The Nut Job which is an animated film about squirrels uh, and the low budget British horror film Blackwood we gave both those films two stars and that's it for this week's Emperor Podcast if you like listening to us and we hope you do otherwise why are you here uh, you've just been weird um, do go on iTunes and give us a lovely review leave us some lovely comments and do give us uh, a nice review a uh, nice star rating five stars we hear is, is very good oh, and obviously buy the magazine and also please do uh, visit our sponsors website squarespace.com squarespace, and indeed. don't forget the code empire25 which will give you 10% off your uh, new website which is going to look really slick and great and cool what a lovely website what a lovely lovely website uh, right enough shilling uh, join us next week for more film related fun we'll be joined by Simon Pegg who's here to talk about his new film Hector and the Search for Happiness and Richard Iowadi who will be talking about the DVD release of The Double and of course much much more besides uh, until then it's goodbye from Phil goodbye it's goodbye from Ali goodbye it's goodbye from me I'm off to celebrate National Orgasm Day in my own inimitable way bye <laughs>